Much Ado About the AQ, Episode 1, What is the Authorship Question? Hello, and welcome to Much Ado About the AQ. It's a brand new podcast that is about the AQ, the authorship question of Shakespeare's works. Who was he, or who wasn't he, more importantly? So my name is Joe Payne. I am essentially your host, a little bit more than a layman, a little bit less than an expert. Uh, I'm an English teacher. I have taught Shakespeare for years, love the bard, joined um, the Langton where I work, where I'm currently recording, and was introduced to um, the insanity here, and therein became instantly obsessed with the, with the AQ. Um, and my co-host introducing for the first time this week, but hopefully will be joining me for all future episodes, is Dr. Christian Taylor. Christian. Uh, great to be here, yes. Um, so I'm Head of English at the Langton, and uh, like Joe, I've been teaching English uh, Shakespeare for, uh, well, more than two decades now. And um, the AQ is uh, very much my, my, my thing, my kind of research uh, area of interest, and um, it has uh, consumed me. And as you will see or hear, that's what it tends to do. You can't just scratch the surface. It's a, it's a real a rabbit hole with many antechambers. And uh, if you take the plunge, as it were, not to mix metaphors, it does become uh, quite life-changing. If you're in the AQ, you are in the AQ. That's, that's your life then. Yeah, if it were a door, you couldn't just be opening the door. You'd have to be through the door. The door would then be behind you. <laughs> you would be within the door. The door and you would be one. Absolutely. Um, so what, what do you say? People say that um, AQ students, as it were, are conspiracists, conspiracy theorists. Well, I love this charge because it's muddy in the water and uh, you know, kind of suggesting that uh, if you believe in this, you might believe in other kind of scandalous things. So just to go on the record, um, I believe uh, the moon landings were real. Uh, I don't think Mossad perpetrated 9-11. I'm fairly certain the late Queen wasn't a reptile. Um, having said all of that, of course, uh, Stratfordians are never called upon to uh, do that kind of thing. You know, everyone just accepts their word as gospel. But uh, yeah, it is a community that attracts a particular kind of person. But I don't know about you, but I was never that person. I was not a conspiracy theorist. Um, but just a note, uh, an etymological note, you know, conspiracy comes from the Latin and it means breathe together. And it suggests people who do things that are shadowy and a bit Machiavellian. Um, and of course, it is still at the present moment a crime in the law. If you conspire to defraud or kill or hijack or kidnap, uh, that is a conspiracy crime. So let's be clear, conspiracy doesn't just immediately suggest something completely uh, wacky. Mm. It's a real thing. I would argue that there has been a conspiracy here and the thing that's been stolen is the rightful ownership of these plays. Uh, yes, because attributing them to William Shakespeare, his correct name, of, of Stratford, yep. has always been something of, uh, I think, a bold move on the part of those who make it because no, no one seems to dig into it in any detail. And then when they do, which is what I did, um, having first scoffed at the idea, yeah, you suddenly realise that there's no good reason to believe that the guy from Stratford wrote uh, anything. Yeah, so... Um... Let's do a bit of a primer. This is week one, mm. episode one. If someone had no idea, just accepted these amazing plays were written by this man from the north, 
Um, unlikely at best, everyone knows Northerners can't read. Mm. Um, but let's <laughs> let's imagine that these plays were written by this Northern man who probably couldn't read. Mm. Um, where do, where would one start with the AQ? What's the what's the background behind it? I think there are parallels here to um, faith in God. If that doesn't sound too grand, in that if you start to look for evidence of God um, and and you're honest and objective, you might find there is not a great deal of it, and and it might change you fundamentally once you. Once you've done it, so I'd say the AQ is similar in that you're you're, you're sold an idea, you 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 told to take it on faith. I mean, which primary school teacher ever told you that the guy from the Midlands or the North didn't write it? You know, it's just not taught that way. So yeah, the best way to get into the AQ is just ask some basic questions. For example, what evidence is there that Shakespeare of Stratford had an education of any sort? And the answer is there is no there is no evidence. So then you say, well, how did he write Lear and Hamlet? Uh, where did he get uh, knowledge of law, horticulture, falconry, uh, the court, military matters? Uh, there are so many things that can't be accounted for. And then you, you suddenly realise, oh, my God, I'm I'm doing the AQ now. It just kind of happens that way. He, he's even listed as, not, as barely knowing Latin and Greek, isn't he? Well, there's a weird thing. That's the first folio, and that's Johnson, his his buddy, talking about him. And the weird thing about that is, um, when I mean, this is not... Not the moment. We shouldn't be cracking open the first folio in episode mm-hmm. one. But um, yeah, that reference seems to suggest perhaps something a bit different. And it was it's along the lines of even if you didn't have a lot of Latin and less Greek, the, the joke being that he had plenty of Latin and quite a bit of Greek. Um, but however, however you look at it, um, that's talking about the real Shakespeare. The yeah. guy from Stratford um, is not known to have gone to the local grammar school. He didn't matriculate at Oxford or Cambridge. And therefore, you have to ask questions like, well, why was Ovid his favourite poet? How did he know? Uh, as much as he seems to have done about Italy uh, and, and, and various other things. So coming on to, uh, coming back to his schooling, um, mm. there are records from the grammar school in Stratford, aren't there? Uh, well, yes, there are records per se, but none feature the name William Shakespeare, Phileas Johannes Shakespeare, as he was called in the will. It's not the, not the will, the uh, about baptism um, document registration. In other words, we, we, we've got no record that Shakespeare went to grammar school. Sir Stanley Wells et al., uh, wonderful people, great scholars, I don't do ad homs, um, they always say things like, well, as the son of uh, Petit Bourgeois, you know, Glover, come, you know, mayor, social climber from Stratford, he would have gone to the grammar school. Well, that's great, but there's no evidence. And that surely doesn't explain why none of his children could read yeah, so the, the girls, Judith and Susanna, they, they seem to have always signed documents, uh, you know, wedding uh, documents and, and, and other things, legal documents with an X. So it, it, it seems a bit strange, more so because um, a good few years back, um, Shakespeare was pronounced a feminist, a very kind of um, important proto-feminist. So if, if all of his women are strong, independent, you know, compelling you know, uh, kind of um, portraits like Lady Macbeth and Cleopatra and Kate and all the rest of it. Why didn't he get his girls educated? Yeah, there, there seems to be no evidence of anyone in his family being able to read at any point. Even his own handwriting is barely mm. legible. Yeah, so we've got six signatures, I think four on the will, uh, on, on Will's will, and, and they're in something like a scroll. Uh, the convention was at the time that if you went to a grammar school, for example, you would be taught uh, English secretary hand, which would be your day-to-day uh, uh, handwriting for business matters, making memoranda, making a diary entry, writing a letter. 
Um, and then for more formal occasions, and certainly for your signature, you, were, you would use Latin hand or the Italianate hand, uh, what, what we'd now think of as uh, Italic script. Uh, and if you look at people who were well-educated but didn't go to Oxford or Cambridge, like Ben Johnson, his signature is definably uh, an educated man's signature. This Shaxper guy um, spelled his name several different ways and, and seems to have written signatures with his left foot. Oh, very much actually seems that way. But we've got next to nothing written down by him at all, have we? Well, um, in 2019, here at the Langton, we hosted a colleague of mine from the Marlowe Society. So I'm, I'm in the Marlowe Society, so big that up. It's got a great new website. Uh, there's probably merch. And um, the, the chap who came in to talk at the Langton uh, from the Marlowe Society is Professor Chris Carr. And he's a business studies and economics uh, lecturer at St. Andrews. And I thought, well, how does that kind of person with that kind of background get into the AQ? And it's because all the extant, um, historically signed off, legitimate uh, signatures of Shakespeare, uh, all the documents that we know to have been his, relate to uniquely legal or financial matters. There is nothing at all of a literary nature. No books in the will either. In fact, there's, there's nothing, there's no books, there's no writing materials, there's nothing pertaining to him being a notable playwright. So what is the, the core of the Stratfordian argument then? The, the idea that, yes, this man, Shakespeare of Stratford, did write these plays and sonnets and so on? Well, I mean, I assume it's to do with just the name. The fact that his name, you know, plus or minus a few extra vowels and whatnot, is Shakespeare. Um, we do know, for example, that the man Shakespeare was uh, involved with the Globe Theatre. We, we know that he was a playbroker. We know that he was a businessman. Uh, he's on record as renting property in London. Um, but most of the claims regarding the authorship were made posthumously. So he dies in 1616. Uh, the first folio emerges in 1623, by which time the monument to Shakespeare in Holy Trinity Church Stratford uh, has been erected and tampered with. Uh, it's not now as it once was. So a lot of this is posthumous. Some of it is to do, I think, with the fact that you know, the, the, the name fits, um, and the rest of it is his proximity to the theatre. But no one's ever said that Philip Henslow, who kept a meticulous diary of matters theatrical, wrote Hamlet. It doesn't make you. I mean, I've been to the theatre, I've spoken to lawyers. Does that make me a director and a legal expert? No. Unless I am. <laughs> <laughs> I sincerely hope not. Uh, how, does, um, how do we know the, the monument was tampered with? Because a chap called, I think it was William Dugdale, and if you're an AQ anorak, forgive me, I don't have any notes, but we, uh, a chap called Dugdale anyway, in the 1600s, um, so post-1616, when Shakespeare dies, he did a sketch of the interior of Stratford Church, and it shows basically uh, what has been described as a fat merchant. So basically a guy who made a load of money, bought a big house, died, was a bit of a local uh, big knob, and um, he... he stands or reclines, I suppose, maybe, on a wool sack. Uh, and the wool sack was an emblem, obviously, of um, trade and being a merchant. Uh, and then what we now have, of course, is um, a, a writer's kind of like lap cushion. Um, and then the addition of a quill pen and, and I think um, a little kind of fruity moustache going on. So the, uh, <laughs> the monument has been tampered with. That's just a fact. Yeah, even the grave doesn't seem completely legit. The, the grave is a problem for the Stratfordian community. 
uh, in that they claim that it contains the bones of, you know, this kind of like literary demigod. Uh, and yet, as as I understand it, no exhumation or whatever you want to call it, you know, grave inspection has ever been allowed. Um, but some university did an ultrasound of the grave. And not only is it empty, it's very, very small in terms of its dimensions and it's really shallow. So even if Bill had been, you know, like Flat Stanley or whatever he's called, I doubt he would have fitted into that that tomb. Could have folded him up. Could have folded him up. Yeah, folio style. Yeah. <laughs> But there, there seems to be nothing in there. They've ultrasounded the grave, haven't they? Yeah, um, but but it's the dimensions that are more important because, you know, um, again, I'm spinning off, here we go, but there's a guy called Calvin Hoffman. He proposes Marlowe as, as Shakespeare in the 50s and he got s- so convinced, he went all the way down the rabbit hole. Um, so he went to exhume or, or, or inspect, I should say, the tomb of Sir Thomas Walsingham uh, at Chislehurst Church in Kent because he was convinced that Marlowe would have been... Um, would have given his manuscript copies of the plays to Walsingham. Walsingham would have had them buried with him. Uh, and when they opened the tomb, there was nothing in there. There was nothing, you know, no bodies. So the argument could be, well, you know, Shakespeare was interred in, in Holy Trinity Stratford. Then he just disintegrated. But the grave is like a foot deep, I think, tops. That's 12 inches. That's, that's not, that's not man-sized. So, and, and even the, the statue on top of it suggests that Shakespeare wasn't a slim man. No, the, if the merchant, exactly, now there's a good point. So if the merchant was done from life, as we say, you know, you, you basically had to fold up a fat merchant and fit him into something the size of a small suitcase. Now we know, we know the KGB can do that, but I don't think they existed in the 17th century. You'd have to ask Vlad. Um, but yeah, even this, um, I mean, symbolism was rife at the time. Symbolism, yep. huge deal. And that is exactly the kind of clue they like to give, I would have suggested. Yeah, um, so another name to drop is uh, Alexander Waugh, uh, who's the chair of the De Vere Society. Hello, Alexander. I've no doubt you'll be listening. Yeah, uh, I hope I've said everything correctly. Um, uh, and, and a very kind of um, thoroughgoing and, and, and uh, eminent scholar in his own right and, and grandson of Evelyn Waugh and, you know, um, just in all ways, you know, literary quality. Actual um, legend. Genuine uh, legend. D- d- damn right he is, yeah. Superb. Um, he's got a brilliant YouTube channel. Um but yeah, he, he has spoken at length uh, uh, about this, um, you know, symbolism, um, Freemasonic, you know, triple toes, uh, John D style uh, cryptograms. Uh, I mean, you know, f- w- w- yeah, one knows from the opening scenes of Faustus that when uh, Faustus conjures Mephistopheles, he uses a pentagram, which has Jehovah's name forward and backwards anagrammatized. Um, there were loads and loads of symbols being used. Not least because it was a spy country. I mean, it was a, um, what's the phrase I'm looking for? A spy state. Mm. You know, you had to convey things secretively and, and that's how it was done. So, yeah, all, all the kind of stuff to do with the tomb in Stratford seems to point, per Wars analysis, to uh, Westminster Abbey, which is where he thinks the real Shakespeare is buried. But I won't tell you who War thinks the real Shakespeare was because that, that would increase drama by 10%. We'll certainly come back to Graves, Westminster Abbey, and so on. Yes. I'd love to do a special from Westminster Abbey before we get thrown out. <laughs> yes. Exact conversation. Just turn up with a pickaxe. Yeah. yeah. And, and we'll try it in Stratford as well at mm-hmm. some point. Yeah, you'll see so, us in the news. Talking of Marlowe, we'll, we'll start talking about the, the other candidates then. If mm. Shakespeare didn't write the plays of Shakespeare, mm. uh, just happened to share a name. Mm. Um, I mean, if that's the case, if that's all it takes for identity, then I scored nine goals for Ipswich yep. in the 1920s. Yep. You know, 70 years before I was born. Yep. Happy days. 
Um, I'm an American athlete. And you're an American athlete. It turns it? out. Yeah. yeah, I can I can hear it in your accent. Yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Chris Marlowe, one of the uh, one of the posited alternatives. Yeah. Okay. So the first thing to think about is positive and negative evidence. So, um, you know, in in terms of positive evidence for Marlowe and for other people, that that comes from the negative evidence for the guy from Warwickshire. So you get rid of Shaxpear of, of, of Warwickshire, of, of um, Stratford-upon-Avon, and then you start saying, well, who else would fit the bill? Now, over the years, they proposed uh, Mary Sidney, I th- who I think was Countess of Pembroke, I think, um, the Earl of Derby, uh, De Vere, Marlowe, Sir Francis Bacon, and, and my favourite position is the groupist theory, which is basically probably composed of people who are a bit pissed off that their guy wasn't in, mm. so they think... Oh well, all these other people—they—they they were with my guy. Yeah, but I, I can't quite get enough evidence to make sure my guy was in. Yeah, if I add in all these others as yeah. well, then it fits. I get a guy, or I get a group, and my guy's in the group. Um, so yeah, the the evidence supporting the, the what we call the Marlovian reading has been proposed by people um, over the years. The most prominent kind of uh, most vocal spokesperson being Calvin Hoffman. Um, and he, he starts with textual allusions or co- correspondences. And there are several. And Stratfordian scholars have always pointed this out. But their thinking has been that um, late Marlowe influenced early Shakespeare. Whereas what Hoffman decided for himself, uh, as it were, is that uh, Marlowe post-1593, the date of his alleged death in Deptford, uh, simply changed his name and carried on writing. And that's why there are I mean, it's not just allusions and, and kind of correspondences in that sense. It's word-for-word copy-paste from Marlowe plays into Shakespeare plays, uh, pampered jades of Asia and things like this. Um, so he then went digging through uh, all, all the records pertaining to Marlowe's background. And, you know, the guy was educated at King's on a scholarship, went to Corpus Christi, Cambridge. Uh, Ovid was his favourite poet. Ovid's Shakespeare's favourite poet. And there are too many things to mention, but that's how the uh, pro Marlowe uh, kind of argument arose. I think there will, there will almost definitely be uh, an entire episode dedicated to Marlowe at some point, including how he did or did not die in we, Deptford. We could spend an hour on that, yeah, easily. Yeah, yeah. In fact, have done in discussion before this. So, yes. um, so Marlowe, a candidate, I'm, I'm not sure we buy Marlowe as, as the Shakespeare author necessarily. Um, I st- well, the thing is, my AQ journey began with Marlowe because we're here in Canterbury, I was doing the boat tour. They take that down the river on a punt, and and uh, I was I was punted past the Marlowe Theatre, obviously named for him, and and the guy punting us along punt. I keep saying punt. Um, <laughs> yep, sounds about right. <laughs> and anyway, the, the 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 chap, you know, the dashing young swain at the helm said, uh, and there is a theory that Marlowe wrote the plays of Shakespeare, and I was the guy laughing out loud. I was like, hang on a minute, you know, I'm an English teacher. I've I've taught English my whole whole life, and and that's poppycock. But I thought, well, let's go and look into it. Um, I forgot what your question was now. I've got old man brain again. Um, so the question essentially was, um, oh, we, we don't agree with Marlowe. Yeah, so I started there, yeah. Um, Hoffman's book, The Murder of the Man Who Was Shakespeare, is compelling. But I think the Marlowe community, dare I say, as a member of the Marlowe Society committee, I think there's a problem, and that's that we, we, we want to popularise Marlowe's seven potentially more plays, because they've given Henry the sixth to, to Marlowe now, I think. Yep. Um, but we, we don't tend to talk about the AQ um, uh, at book length. So in other words, if you were looking for AQ material on Marlowe, it would be Hoffman. Um, so then, yeah, you, you then start saying, well, who else could it be? Um, and then other 
prominent fits include Edward de Vere, 17th Earl of Oxford. Well, let's, let's talk about de Vere then. He's kind of the big one, isn't he, at the moment? He's the, the in vogue mm. candidate. Yep. Um, he's been linked to lots of other people in the group theory, uh, but he's kind of emerged in the last 100 years as a dominant candidate. And that begins with the work of J. Thomas Looney. Um, and, and just a side note about names. I've heard his name pronounced Loney, just to kind of avoid the embarrassment, you know, like Hyacinth Bouquet. Um, no, the guy was called Looney, but, yeah. it, 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 you know, if your name is Pratt, and there are people in the school community whose surname is Pratt, mm. I mean, how, how good a joke is that if someone says your name, it's Pratt? Yeah. We can all get over it fairly quickly. So Looney was actually a, a thoroughgoing English eccentric, a good scholar. Um, I'm not saying, you know, he, he's up there with uh, Sir Stanley Wells. Um, and co, but a very, very good scholar. And he he became convinced that it was Oxford based on um, things that he saw in Hamlet, which is one of the most autobiographical plays. And Stratfordians always say that. They always say Hamlet's the most um, self-revelatory of the uh, canonical texts. Well, okay then, who does it reveal? Someone aristocratic, somebody who knew the court, somebody who knew law French, uh, someone who knew how to fence, how to duel, uh, somebody who knew Elsinore in Denmark, uh, and who knew an awful lot about um, you know European geography? Um, someone who'd lost a father early in his life. Edward de Vere's father was um, died when de Vere was twelve, and and, and um, his mother remarried very very quickly, which yep. is exactly what Gertrude does in the play. So yeah, there, there are compelling reasons to believe that Oxford was either the, the lone Shakespeare, or um, as I read recently, another plug. In Elizabeth Winkler's new book, which is called a fantastic book, which I've now finished, uh, and she'll be joining us for a Zoom interview here at the Langton in the autumn. Elizabeth Winkler, she she's just published a book called Shakespeare Was a Woman, um, and she interviews uh, Mr. War uh, at his uh, family homestead, and um, just something, something that uh, Alexander, if you're listening to this, this is how shocking it was to me to hear you say, as recorded in the interview with with Elizabeth, that. You're not a, I think you put it, a, 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 an, Oxford, an Oxford fundamentalist. Mm. So you, you would suggest yourself or accept the idea that Oxford might not be the lone Shakespeare, but for you, he could also be, or might also be, uh, head of the group because he has a scriptorium in London. And uh, I think you said elsewhere, I'm, I'm talking to a man who's not here now. Sorry. Yeah. To, I'm <laughs> we, to a, we know who will listen. Dis, disembodied Mr. War. But yeah, you, you've said in previous YouTube videos that Marlowe probably worked for the Earl of Oxford and all these poets were complaining of going broke and that's the year that Oxford ran out of money and had to close the scriptorium so anyway if you're listening to this wondering is, is this what happens when you get into the AQ yes it is entirely it's interesting Al even um, to call yourself a fundamentalist <laughs> yeah. is, is using the language of religion and that's yeah. what yeah. the AQ mm. and Stratfordianism mm. almost has mm. become yeah well, yeah, I mean, fundamentalist Christians refer to a thing called Darwinism, which isn't a thing, but it's a thing that they have invented because they don't like that thing. Mm. Uh, similarly, you know, Stratfordians look upon their position as the orthodox position, and orthodox is Greek, and it means right belief. And the subtitle of Winkler's book is uh, How Questioning the Bard Became Taboo. Oh, no, so the, the first subtitle is uh, Shakespeare was a woman and other heresies. Yeah. And a heresy, obviously, is a non-orthodox position, and all of this becomes... Uh, a matter of faith, I think, for the Stratfordian community, and any threat to it um, is is taken as a heretical threat. In the same way that people, you know, who attacked the Catholic Church became persona non grata, that, that they are attacked and vilified, burnt in effigy, as I hope to be. That'd be a great way. 
yeah. some go, earn some fame. Um, but yeah, it becomes like a religious uh, question, this. It really yeah, does. Yeah, it definitely does. So um, we, we'll definitely come back to De Vere and Hamlet. I think there's an entire episode on that one. Absolutely. Everything from Polonius yep. to the pirate episode yep. and, and the uh, other uh, Ophelia was Anne Cecil. There you go, quote me. Yep, Ophelia... And Cecil, same person. Yeah. Easy, easy proof there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> proof, evidence. <laughs> evidence. Uh, evidence. Um, what about others? What about um, Bacon, for instance? Um, now, I haven't looked into this a ton, and um, Ms. Winkler's book was very helpful because she's done all the research for me. But um, yeah, the Baconian theory rests on supposed, uh, again, embedded cryptographic alphanumerical cipher type codes in the plays. Yeah. Um, and I think she, she made a very, very good point in, in, in her book, which is that if you begin looking for evidence of a thing you already have, the classic confirmation bias, then you can see it. So, um, but Bacon was a very popular candidate early on. Delia Bacon, not related. Um, she uh, became associated with the Bacon theory. And, and she would, and I think it's a very, very sad story. And, and it shows um, actual systemic misogyny at work. Uh, she was hounded, ridiculed. She, she was uh, declared insane. I believe she was committed. Um, and so she's very easy prey, plus the loony name, for kind of vilifying this whole community of doubters. Um, but yeah, she, she herself believed it was Bacon and, and, and looked for kind of patterns in the plays. Um, I've never heard anything so compelling that I've remembered it, Yeah, to be honest. No, no, I, I haven't. It's interesting you mentioned misogyny there because, you know, obviously we're two white guys cisgendered hetero white guys yeah. from the Talk, southeast talking about this <laughs> but um, Winkler in her book specifically yeah. mentions the abuse she has received on she... Twitter on social media yep yeah I mean l- l- let's just speak in defense of feminism if I'm allowed to feminism might not need me to defend it but if, if you're a, a, a woman like uh, Delia Bacon or anybody else kind of entering the fray um, you know it's a bit like being a female M- MP or a, a, an outspoken uh, female celebrity it seems you know twitter is not your friend no. um and yeah elizabeth winkler uh, p- published she is a journalist and she published uh, an article on the shakespeare authorship question in i think the atlantic mm. um and then just had a, a torrent of abuse directed at her uh, via social media twitter in particular pre-musk by the way and um <laughs> it was help. it was a toxic <laughs> space then yeah. and uh I, I wonder if partly it's the classic Stratford knee-jerk um, heresy hunting reaction, mm. uh, now the ad hom attack, uh, and I just wonder if it wasn't compounded by the fact that she's a woman and, and that she, she might be the target of some rather ugly misogyny, and I think she is. And by the way, I'd say that if she was a Stratfordian and got slagged yeah. off as well. It is wrong. Yeah. Uh, I'm speaking as a you know a married man with a daughter, so I like to think I have an interest. No, exactly the same. I, I too have a daughter mm. and uh, and feel exactly the same way. Mm. Um, I am on Twitter, by the way. If you wanted to get in touch about the podcast, if you have any questions, if you want to send me some abuse, feel free. Mm. Um, I'm a short, bald man. I yep. can take it. Yep. Um, I'm at God of Chicken on Twitter, <laughs> which Doctor <laughs> Taylor did not know. I didn't know um, that. At God of Chicken, God of Chicken. Um, on Twitter. And um, you can email us as well. Um, much ado about the AQ at gmail.com. Uh, I hope, because I haven't set the email address up yet. Yes. So I'm going to do that immediately after we finish uh, recording. So, um, apart from those, are there any other candidates that we haven't mentioned that have any value? Uh, Mary Sidney and or the Countess of Pembroke. I can't remember if she's the same person. I believe she is. Um, 
she had a uh, a big house uh, that, that that in which she'd grown up with with her more famous, arguably brother Philip Sidney, in uh, oh, I forgot where it is. I'm going to say Somerset, uh, and she she had a writer's salon, yeah. and uh, she when when her brother Philip Sidney, our first um, soldier poet, when he died uh, abroad fighting, she she finished off his um, some of his work, uh, published his sonnets. And, and she was very well connected to writers, and people have seen um, evidence of her in the plays. Chiefly, it's to do with a, a claim made by feminist critics. Uh, by the way, I'm, I don't want to be guilty of gender essentialism, but people have noted in, in the, the, the Shakespeare canon uh, kind of an uncanny ability to tune into whatever is the female mind and represent female the complexities of being a woman in a very um, particular way. So she's often touted as a possible candidate because of that insight. And on the group theory model, she, she could have been working on, you know, the representation of strong women in the plays, uh, Oxford as master of ceremonies, other people filling in around the edges. Um, but, you know, you don't have to buy that theory necessarily. But I think she gets a lot less attention than the, the other guys, which, again, could be a question of, could be a misogyny, misogyny yeah. thing. Well, um, who the hell is this person? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it makes sense. We still have sensitivity, sensitivity readers today. People mm-hmm. still will take their books to people of other genders, mm-hmm. um, races, sexualities, mm-hmm. gender identities, etc., to yep. check that they are legitimate. So yes, yes, there's no reason to disbelieve that. Nope. She could have been part of the process, even if she wasn't the original, or the you know the originator of particular plays mm-hmm. or, or passages. But uh, that that's something I need to do more research on. I think. Yeah. Um, and as we continue to produce episodes, hopefully, then we will continue to research and provide you with more interesting and um, and well-researched facts. At the moment, this is just an introduction. We're just trying to give you uh, a broad overview as much as we can in half an hour or so um, into the uh, the AQ, and then you can choose whether or not to carry on listening to us. Um, the the intention is we'll have guests, we'll speak to some notable AQ um, investigators. I want to call them. Mm. Um, we'll also have Stratfordians on. You know, we're, mm-hmm. we're not afraid to be challenged, and, mm. and we're looking for. I mean, I would be. I don't know. I'm not sure. I'd be delighted, but I'd be. I'd be perfectly satisfied if I could be given a really convincing argument that the man from Stratford wrote these plays. Mm. I just haven't seen one. Well, um, I, I won't reveal the details, but we have a colleague here at the Langton who's ma- made a claim in somewhat in that direction, uh, backed up by some very very good research. It doesn't solve the AQ. Um, would that it did, but um, it, it, it certainly challenged me to think differently about uh, a, a particular play. Won't mention yeah. this, another rabbit hole, but another episode, another episode on that. We'll get him in. He's got a very, yeah. like, very boomy voice. Yeah, uh, well, in fact, we'll get him outside the door so he yeah, can he, shout him so he doesn't blow well, his speakers. Well, well, we, he can go to the Isle of Wight. We'll still yeah. hear him, bless him. But anyway, that was terrible. Be angry now. Um, but yeah, basically, um, any good evidence pointing in any direction is is welcomed. Uh, it's just that whenever I've tried to look for, um, you know, kind of pro-orthodox arguments, you know, kind of linking the Shakespeare guy of Stratford to the plays, I haven't found anything. Um, there's, there's, there's no good paper trail, um, and there's, there's, there's at least two hundred years of scholarship uh, that's gone into trying to prove that essential point, that orthodox point, and uh, I don't think it's ever worked. I'd, I'd, I have to agree. I'd, I'd never looked into it, and that is the thing. Many people have never even considered it. They've, they've started at uh, the premise, the, the accepted orthodoxy that Shakespeare was Shakespeare, mm-hmm. and then just never gone anywhere with that. No, and it's it's very much like being raised in the faith. 
Um, you you yeah. could come to a different understanding of God. You don't have to become a, a, a raving militant atheist. But what normally happens when people question basic tenets of their faith, you know, uh, was the Red Sea parted? Um, yeah, was Christ in the wilderness for literally 40 days and 40 nights? Was he a six day creation? Do axe heads float? Um, they, they tend to come to the conclusion that no, and whales don't gobble people up either. So who knows? I think there's a link to that, but it's all good fun. Yeah, it certainly is good fun. And um, hopefully you'll, you'll continue joining us on this journey as we reveal and learn more. Um, so thank you for listening, if indeed you still are at this point. Um, <laughs> we're going to call that at the end of the first episode. If you are listening on iTunes, please do leave a review, even if it's one star. It still boosts that good, good algorithm and gets mm. more people listening. Yep. What we don't want to do is tell you what to think. We no. want to tell you to think mm. and to engage and to do something interesting. Yep. And if that interesting thing is the AQ, then please go with it. Thank you very much for listening. I'm at God of Chicken on Twitter. My name's Joe Payne. Please do look me up. Um, and email us, much ado about the AQ, at gmail.com. Information will be in the description. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Cheerio.